Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having an awesome week. There is so much going on. There's a lot going on. I say that all the time. I sit here thinking about all the stuff that is going on in my life. And I know you can relate. You guys do it too. You're doing it right now probably. And it's like, it's the little things like, okay, here's a really awesome example. Wilder just got the most adorable haircut in the world without blinking. Like, you know how much we think about our hair and like have to get it right? So we walked into Great Clips yesterday for the first time with her. And I said, you know, can you tell your stylist how you'd like to get your hair cut? And she said, I want it pretty short, you know, like my mom's. Oh my God. And so I tried not to show it on the outside, but my heart was like leaping with joy. She loves me. <laughs> so in the end, um, she has a way cuter hairstyle than me. Somehow she looks like she could be Brad and Angelina's child. Like it's so cute in the front and then the back is short. And then I'm feeling all warm and fuzzy at the same time. Cute haircut, happy mom. So those are the little things that are going on. Those are the daily things, right? But then there's the big things like... Our family is gearing up to go to Hawaii in October because Tim is being inducted into the Hall of Fame, the the one that matters to him the most, the Iron Man Hall of Fame. Took him a long time to to induct Tim, and Wilder is old enough to understand what that might mean, which is really cool too. And I haven't been there for so so many years, and and it used to be our life. That's just what we did for three weeks every October. Um, And it just feels like so long ago and we're so excited to go back and it's this big thing coming up. But before then, there's another really big thing going on. Maybe bigger, I don't know. (laughs) Depends uh, who you're looking at this through. Um, But Skirt Sports is about to celebrate our 15th birthday. Like I'm saying 15 years in business. How many businesses make it 15 years? I mean, it's, there's really, it's not that many. At the most, 25% of businesses make 15 years. We have gone through so much, so many obstacles, surprises, good times, scary times, all of them learning opportunities. I learn so much every single day. I have never been challenged more or pushed myself more out of my comfort zone than I have with Skirt. I have literally learned how to make a landing page, how to create a Facebook ad, how to overcome fabric problems that I never would have expected. I created our business model. Then I rewrote it. Then I rewrote it again, and I'm rewriting it again as we speak. 
I have flown overnight to Taiwan to take back our products. I have raised over a million dollars in equity. I've opened a retail store. I've dumpster dived. I have accepted awards that I never imagined I'd get. I have stood on stages in front of thousand people being open and vulnerable and sharing my stories. 15 years is a long time to do anything. It's a long time for any career, any hobby. Whew. So to celebrate it, we're planning a huge birthday party at Skirt Sports the weekend before our birthday, uh, the weekend of September 6th through 8th. If you're in Boulder, you got to come hang with us. Um, on Saturday the 7th, we'll be meeting and doing a cool workout and hanging this awesome quilt that was made um, in honor of our history. We're going to have a massive warehouse sale that weekend. We'll have Kim and Jake's cake throughout. Don't worry. Um, It's just going to be awesome. So in addition to that, if you're not local, fly in for it. Come on. You know, you got to hang with me. But um, on September 12th, That is the 15-year anniversary of the day I won Ironman Wisconsin wearing the first skirt. On September 12th, mark your calendar. Please do a social call out for us. Do something, promote women in business or you know, the power of women in general or fitness or skirt sports or tell people to go out and buy one of our products or just promote being tenacious because that is what it takes to make it 15 years. Post something that day about skirt or this podcast or whatever you want and hashtag skirt sports. We need all the support we can get even after 15 years because in the end, we do not do any of this alone. Whew. So that brings me to today's guest, Liz Delise. Liz is tenacious. She is a mom of five kids, one of whom has autism. She's a military wife. She's a chronic illness warrior. She's a runner, and she is one of the most inspirational, positive energy people in this world. She's also a skirt ambassador and a patron of this podcast, So to expand on that, when I launched my Patreon account a few months ago, she was the first person to jump on board and support me in this effort to bring more positivity to the world because she gets it. You know, it just makes sense because she's also a purveyor of positivity despite the hurdles she faces on a daily basis. Today, we have an awesome conversation that I know you'll appreciate in so many ways. I hope to interview more of my podcast patrons. The goal for me is to do this podcast for the long term. I love it. Uh, Patrons support the podcast financially with as little as a dollar per month, up to as much as you feel is appropriate. Get on board, go to patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash Nicole DeBoom. All right, it's time. Let's get the amazing Liz DeLise on the show. Liz, I am so, so psyched to finally connect with you for the pod. I've been wanting to interview you for so long. Thank you. I am extremely excited and honored to be here. Well, let's do a full disclosure. So we do have a company or an organization in common. Um, Do you want to maybe share how we're connected? Yes, of course. 
through your company. <laughs> well, yes, because you are okay. So that's not awkward at all. <laughs> um, because you're a skirt sports ambassador, I am. And you're like the best energy. If you get, if you want an energy infusion in your day, just go to Ramblin' Mom. Uh-huh. Not to Ramblin' Mom, and you're going to get an energy infusion. I especially love the Zumba like karate chopping dance that <laughs> happened one day. And I don't even know the reason. There doesn't even have to be a reason always, does there? I, I was sick, actually. I had been sick and not able to run, not able to really do anything and but paint. Um, and I just felt like dancing that day. You know, that is, I feel like anytime we feel like dancing, we should be able to. Yes. Go for it. Well, and you, you know, you, you are a mom of five littles, so I'm sure there's no lack of dancing in your household. There's a lot of dancing here. I love it. Um, okay. So let's actually, you know, we should start on since we just talked about it. Let's just start talking a little bit about energy. Okay. Because you've had quite the journey, you know, we're going to dig into all kinds of cool stuff today, but, um, energy is, it's important. Like there's the actual sort of literal energy highs and lows that we have in a day. And then there's sort of just that like aura that we have about us that we put out in the world. I don't know. I just want to hear, how do you describe your own energy fields? My energy fields? Well, I like to put out good, positive vibe energy. Um, but personally, uh, behind closed doors, it doesn't always look that way. Um, but I, I don't ever want anyone to feel bad or to feel the way I may feel sometimes. So I try to put those positive vibes out there as much as possible. And it also helps me feel better as well. So is there like, what, what's going on that causes you those sort of like behind closed doors lows? I have a lot going on. I know you do. (laughs) I have five kids. Um, one of them has autism. I'm an active duty army wife. Um, there's just a lot going on that people don't see. Um, that make me feel down, make me feel lonely. And I don't want people to feel that way. So I don't put it out there as much. Yeah. But what's the danger? I mean, how do you then, you know, get through those times? Do you have like a close knit circle of friends that help you? I do. I do have, um, my close friends, you know, you know, my run me does especially. Um, and I will often text one of them in particular, Adriana, um, and she will send me like a virtual slap in the face, like to get me to snap out of those negative thoughts and negative vibes. And then I also call my mom crying probably at least, you know, every other week. <laughs> so I love my mom. <laughs> you know, that is awesome. That's not something we talked about when we were sort of thinking no. about you know, what we wanted to cover today. Um, and I think it's actually like a, a good topic to take a moment and pause and and talk about because you have a good relationship with your mom and you're also raising five kids that I'm assuming you hope when they're your age, they have a good relationship with you. I do. 
I do. So, so do you take any of the like example that your mom, like how did your mom raise you then? Like, why did you foster such a good relationship with her? Um, well, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but I am also an army brat. Uh, so I grew up with my dad being in the army. Um, and Troy was not initially in the army, my husband, uh, when we were first together. So this is kind of something that we transitioned into, but you know, being an army brat and army wife, you move around a lot, you go different places. And my mom always fostered a sense of adventure in me that no matter where we lived, we would play tourist in our own town. And I have continued to do that with my kids. And when she comes to visit, we do it as well. And, you know, she taught me to go outside of my comfort zone and just try out new things, do new things, be new things and, you know, find myself in it all. Well, and especially, you know, when, like you said, you're an army brat, so I'm assuming like you moved around a lot. So as you're exploring all of these new places, it is scary and it is lonely. And so who's better hand to hold than your own mom? Yeah. It's amazing. So, okay, then let's, let's go back a little bit in time here to, uh, to your current chapter. You know, you mentioned that you are currently an army wife. So tell me about like, how did you, how'd you meet your husband, Troy? So we met in grad school at Vanderbilt in Nashville. Uh, we were both studying theology. Um, and it's a small, the school of divinity is a small school in a large university. So it was a tight knit group, but this guy sitting next to me in Hebrew Bible would fall asleep during class. And so I would smack him awake. <laughs> um, it's so awesome. And um, then, you know, we would have these little parties that they would have. And um, one of them in particular, the Halloween party, there was this guy again, and he was this, you know, this is funny because he was dressed for Halloween as a soldier. <laughs> Um, and I was, I was dressed as a fairy with broken wings, you know, it's a party. My wings broke at some point, but anyways, I went up to him and started talking to him and chatting with him because he was always a very quiet guy. You know, the quiet guy who fell asleep in class that I smacked awake, but we just got to talking and whatnot and just had a very deep connection. And, um, then the rest kind of became history. And a couple of years later we got married on Halloween. So yeah. Oh, oh my God. Wait, how many years later? Uh, so we, that was 2005. We got married Halloween of 2007. Oh, wow. That is so cool. So you were at Vanderbilt at the time then. And were you both like, had you graduated when you got married? So when we first started dating, he was the one who said, I'm never having kids. I'm never getting married. I'm going to be a bachelor. And, a, you know, he wanted to be a professor and all this other stuff, whatever. And I don't, I don't know what I was thinking about. I was like, okay, whatever, dude. Um, and he finished his master's in theological studies. I did not. Um, I got very, very sick. Um, in towards the end of my first year and decided not to return to complete the program, but he did finish his um, 
master's of theology. So he was in his last semester. We got married and then he had one more semester. And so wait, you said you got very, very sick. Like yeah. how, what happened? Um, well, I, I, uh, Long story short there, um, I found found out uh, that I had an autoimmune disease and I had a parasite and all this fun stuff going on with me. So, And so did you like, I don't know about this. Is this something you can talk about? Like is, um, did you resolve it or do you still suffer from that autoimmune disease? So it's something that comes and goes like when I that, that dancing bit, right. That we talked about earlier, that was mm-hmm. because I had a flare up of this disease. So I have eosinophilic esophagitis, gastroenteritis and gastritis. So it's very food allergy based and allergy based. And there's not a lot known about it. So you kind of just got to take it as it comes and figure it all out. And yeah. So is that like a one word? (laughs) Is that like four different, four different conditions? So eosinophilic esophagitis is probably the most common. So, you know, when you hear about kids who have peanut allergies, Mm -hmm. that's eosinophilic esophagitis, where your esophagus um, you know, swells and all that fun stuff. Uh huh. Scary then, stuff. Yep. So then the eosinophilic gastritis and gastroenteritis that it just affects different parts of your gastrointestinal system. So mine, I get the whole thing: esophagus all the way down, you know, in my colon, in my pancreas, all all over. It it's fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, okay. So you're pretty young when this is happening. Yeah. I'm sure you were like, what the heck is going on? I mean, how do you even get a diagnosis? Um, you get hospitalized. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So were you just like unable to eat or throwing up and throwing, started throwing yeah. and all of that? And, um, you know, grad school is very stressful and my the dean of the school thought that it was, oh, I was stressed out. It was all in my head. I was stressed out. You know, I was working a lot. It's all in your head. You're stressed out. But I'm telling you, throwing and going like the way I was is not stress. That's something else going on. But I was fortunate enough to have been at the right place at the right time. And, you know, I was back home and up in Massachusetts and went to some of the best doctors that took chances and looking for certain things and found what was going on with me. Got it. Okay. So have you been like a, a a big sort of researcher and, and adventurer of the microbiome and really looking at like gut health ever since this happened? I have. And one of your podcasts actually helped me to kind of think of another alternative in seeking treatment and seeking what's going on with me. So I, I do, it's, it's different. It's unique. You know, you have to watch what you eat and continually have different food allergy tests because your allergies change. And 
sometimes you can tolerate something in one form, but you can't tolerate it in another form. So it's just an ongoing process. Yeah, totally. So what episode was that? Like, what are you trying? That was, you know, the, I mentioned that I had a parasite as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So you had a guest on who she had Lyme disease. Oh yeah. Kristen well, Clegg. Mm-hmm. And so it got me wondering, is it possible that that parasite could act, um, you know, have long-term effects? So I'm currently waiting to see another specialist about that and see, hey, is this actually something that's legit? Could that parasite have triggered more of this and uh, be long-term and what's going on? So, yeah. Wow. That is, I mean, I think the point here, what I'm kind of hearing is like, we all have different things in our lives that rear their heads at different times. And usually stress or exhaustion or sometimes outside factors are the triggers. I don't know. Is that what you find as you, you know, manage this throughout your life? For sure. Yes. Uh, Stress definitely plays a role at times. You know, it's not the end of it. It's not the absolute, but it can exacerbate things. So, you know, I think too, like, I hate using the word stress. It's just like the word itself makes me like shorter of breath. You know, I'm like, uh, my shoulders like go up to my ears. Mm -hmm. And so I've worked hard in my life when I, when I'm about to say that word to reframe it, at least in my own head. But the truth is it is what it is. And, and it's, it, creates um, a physical response in our bodies and everybody has different things that are stressful to them. So, and a lot of times those things are the things we love the most in our life. Uh Like for instance, five children, (laughs) 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 you know, things like that. So, and, and you also can never downplay one person's stress versus another. No, exactly. You have to meet people where they're at, you know? Yeah. I totally agree. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your path after then. So you've, you found a way out of this like physical duress and, um, and then, and you and Troy then were like getting married shortly after or right around that time, right? Yep. We were married at that time. Yes. Okay. Got it. Cool. So he didn't want to have kids. So you have five. So how did that happen? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, it's amazing, right? We had, uh, Sophia was actually why we we got married on Halloween. (laughs) Uh, We had a very long engagement and Sophia was born halfway through that engagement. So (laughs) that is awesome. Wow. Um, So you guys were like, okay, then I guess we're doing it. I mean, was this a decision or was it like, well, we got pregnant. So Troy, you're having kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel like Troy changed a bit afterwards, you know, he had realized that (laughs) Maybe he did want a family and did want kids and everything. Um, Even before we had Sophia, I think he was starting to turn around, you know. Um, But we had Sophia. She was born uh, January 2008. Um, And then 
I got sick. And then we had our church wedding. So we, we've been married tw- twice <laughs> now, officially married on Halloween and then had Sophia and then, you know, um, had our big old fancy church wedding that spring. So cool. Yeah. And with, with a little baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, um, so was Troy in the military by then? Nope. Nope. Not yet. No. Okay. And then, um, we moved from Nashville to, uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. I took a job there. Um, because when I stopped going to Vanderbilt, I worked for the Y in aquatics and, I took a job as an aquatics director in Williamsburg, Virginia, and Troy got to be a stay-at-home dad for a little bit as he looked for a job. And then he took a job as a director of youth ministry, and we lived in Williamsburg for a little bit, and then we got pregnant with our second child, Teddy. So, And that was like uh, 2009? So no, they're all two years apart. All my right. two years apart. So Teddy was born January, 2010. Yep. Okay. Perfect. So like during that pregnancy, I mean, did you have a good pregnancy? No. And, uh, I know that you and I talked about this the other day, but you know, I was an aquatics director and, you know, managing pools, you're managing chemicals as well. And one day when I was showing one of my new lifeguards how our pump room worked, um, I was had an accident where um, a chlorine cloud came out of one of the buckets in the pump room and I went into respiratory arrest very early on in my pregnancy. I was about maybe 10 weeks pregnant with Teddy at the time and stopped breathing. And yeah, I mean, he, he was fine. The, the baby was fine, but Hey, that's a way, what a way to announce to your staff that you're uh, pregnant. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. So, yeah. That was even before you're like supposed to officially tell people, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. Only one person knew one of my very close coworkers. She was the only one that I had told. And I guess, you know, when I was unconscious, she said, Hey, she's pregnant, you know, um, and had told everyone. So, Oh my gosh. So did you like, did the EMT show up? Like how did you just come out of it? How bad was the episode? No, I got, I would, the EMTs came, I was brought to the hospital and on oxygen for a little bit. Um, my, my heart never stopped. So that's good. I just went into respiratory arrest. Um, and then I came to in the emergency room. So, and um, you know, I think part of what we want to talk about today is being a mom of a child who has autism, and Teddy is is that child for you, right? Yes, he is. So let's maybe talk a little bit about that. And I mean, I guess one thing you had mentioned to me before was that with this like unfortunate incident, um, you carry some guilt, you know, about would Teddy be different if I hadn't had that happen? Right. Yeah. That cross 
crosses my mind regularly and is something that I have had to deal with throughout the years and realize that there's no way to know. There is no definitive way to know if that situation was what caused him to have autism. Yep. And on the other side of it, you didn't do anything wrong. You know, and that's another thing is that we often blame ourselves or feel guilt for things that were totally outside of our control. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing I guess you could have controlled was having a totally different job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and on that job, there'd probably be other issues or perils. So that's really hard. So how, you know, when you say you've worked on this, had have you like had some counseling or how did you, how did, how did you get your head around it? Or when it goes to the dark places, how do you get yourself back out? Yeah, I, I have had counseling over this. So Teddy is the second of five. So let me give a quick rundown of the other three to see how I got to this point. So, um, Cece is my third child, you know, born two years later. And then I have Mikey's four and after one, two, and three kids after Sophia, Teddy, and Cece, I knew that I wanted to have more kids. I felt that I wanted to have more kids. I could be open and accepting to it. Um, but after I had Mikey, our fourth, I never got that feeling. And then when we found out that we were pregnant with Audie, our fifth, it just sent me into the most dark place ever that um, when I went for my initial uh, appointment, um, it, I triggered that depression screening and they sent me to see a counselor right away. And I am extremely fortunate to have worked with her during my entire pregnancy. You know, we talk a lot about postpartum depression, but I had antepartum depression, you know, pr- depression during pregnancy. And you know, since I was pregnant, you can't really take medication at that time. So we sought out a lot of alternative therapies such as hypnotherapy and biofeedback. And we really dove into things of the past and especially to those situations with Teddy and how he was, you know, how I went into respiratory arrest when I was pregnant with him, how he had RSV when he was an infant and how coping with all of that and realizing that there is no way to know what triggers autism. That's not a known. That's not something they'll ever know. And kind of getting myself to a place where I can accept that and truly accept who he is and this path that we are on in being parents of a child with special needs. I mean, I feel like those screenings, I, they're so easy to fake. Oh, and I'm are. so yeah. glad you didn't. Yeah. I'm so glad they caught you. Yeah. You know, um, I actually, I'm not familiar with antepartum depression. With all the people I've interviewed and the discussions we've had, I, you know, I haven't had a, a guest who's, who's suffered from that. So I kind of want to talk about it a little bit more. If that's okay. Um, because I think it could help a lot of people who are experiencing that. Um, what were the symptoms? Well, I, 
I didn't want to be pregnant. I didn't want this child, you know? Um, and that's not to say that I don't, I, I, I absolutely love, we call him baby Cinco, you know, we absolutely love him and everything. But when I found out I was pregnant, I, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't, you know, I was done having kids. I never got the feeling that I wanted more kids after I had Mikey, our fourth, you know? Um, but here I was pregnant and let's add on, right. We are in the army at this time, right. Troy joined the army after Teddy was born. So, um, the way the army likes to be is, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, your husband's going to Africa for the next six months and he leaves in two weeks. And, Oh yeah, you just found out you're pregnant with your fifth. That's nice. Have fun. (laughs) He'll be back when he's born. (laughs) At least he'll be there when he's born this time. (laughs) Um, so it was a lot going on. Um, and I couldn't handle it. It was too much for me. And I hit my my breaking point, my tipping point. And I knew I did. And I knew I needed help. And I knew I needed to ask for help. And um, I did. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot that uh, for anyone, even if your husband's around, it's a lot <laughs> because you have very young children <laughs> in yeah. addition to, you know, being pregnant with a baby at that point, you didn't want to have. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like hypnotherapy and biofeedback. Can you maybe explain what those are? I absolutely loved hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy was my favorite sessions with her. And um, there's a book. It's called The Hypnotist Love Story. It's a novel, but it um, by um, Leanne Moriarty, I think is the author. But she actually does a great job explaining what hypnotherapy is because it is a type of hypnosis, you know, but it's not that silly stage hypnosis where if you say a certain, you know, somebody says a certain word, you're going to bark like a dog or whatever, you know, Um, it helps you to kind of bring you into this different level in your brain, I guess, and deal with those deeper issues that you've kind of tucked away. And, it. um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So what were your deeper issues, Liz? <laughs> oh, I've got a lot of issues, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, parents being divorced and my whole job thing and the whole that I had a kid with autism and not working in a traditional sense anymore and kind of trying to find myself in all of that. Um, no longer being, you, you, you might relate to this, no longer being a collegiate athlete or anything like that, you know, um, just dealing with the person I am now is never the person I imagined I would be. And just dealing with that and accepting that and accepting who I am because that can be hard at times, you know, when you're, when you're 20 and you're about to graduate college or whatever, you know, and you have all these grand plans and grand ideas. And then 10 years later, you find yourself with all these kids and one has special needs and it's not what you imagined. It can be a lot to deal with. Um, And she helped me get through all of that and just, 
you know, biofeedback, you really get more in touch with your body and in touch with your breathing and sensing when you're starting to get, you know, for lack of a better word, stressed out, you know, sensing it coming on and being able to control that and control your breathing and everything, um, that biofeedback helps with that. You know, do you, um, do you also do things like yoga or meditation or, you know, sports that slow you down a little and let you get more internal? Running definitely helps me to get more internal. Um, you know, that's a great point. And I, I, you actually mentioned being a collegiate athlete. What sport did you do when you were young? I played field hockey and I went to a division three school, you know, so we got to play more than one sport. <laughs> um, I played field hockey and then I swam and I helped to start the women's lacrosse program at my school as well. Really cool. Where'd you go? I went to Regis College, which is in Weston. Cool. I love it. So, but then running came to you later in life and, and it's been, it's filled that hole for like giving you that peace and meditation that you need. It did. Running actually came to me in my last month of pregnancy with Teddy. See, everything what? goes back to Teddy. So when I was nine months pregnant with Teddy, I got this crazy idea to sign up for a marathon. <laughs> and I, had, I had never ran that far before. I hadn't done more than a 10K, you know. Field hockey and lacrosse players, you know, we hold sticks in our hands. So it's like, what do you do with your hands? <laughs> When you're wow. so yeah, what do yeah. you do? That's a really good point. Oh my gosh! I signed up for my first marathon when I was nine months pregnant with him. I mean, the marathon wasn't until ten months after, but yeah, that's kind of when the running bug bit me. And looking back at it, I view it kind of as God's way of saying, "Hey, you're going to need this to get you through." Um. So it, it seems crazy at the time, but it has become a sort of therapy for me and has kept me on, on my path and helped me reach new goals and achieve new things that I never thought I would do. So like, okay, then let's talk a little bit about your running. So you've now been a runner for, gosh, how long? Maybe eight? So Teddy, Teddy? nine, nine. Yep. So for uh, like nine and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So are, are you doing more than marathons now? You know, tell people a little bit about where this running journey has taken you. Yeah. So I have done, I've, the Marine Corps marathon was my very first marathon and I have done that one four times. And then this fall, I will be my fifth time at Marine Corps, but not in the marathon, in their inaugural 50K. Um, and that oh, will, yeah. yeah. That's going to be yeah. big. Yeah. And that will actually be my second 50K. Um, but I've, I haven't ran more than a 50K. I would like to run a 50-miler with uh, a couple friends in a couple of years to celebrate a friend's 50th birthday. I'm going to do a 50-miler with them. Um, but, you know, 10Ks, half marathons, and uh, triathlons. I did the year that Troy was 
first deployed to Afghanistan was when I was heavy into sprint triathlons. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, before we get into uh, Troy's, you know, deployments and stuff, why, you know, I just always wonder this, like certain people, many people are just driven to keep going longer and do more, you know? And you said, it's might going to be my second you've done. Well, you actually started with a marathon, so you didn't like, (laughs) but, um, you know, 50 K's and now I want to run a 50 miler. Like what is it within you that wants to do more and go longer? It's fun, honestly. And it's, it's me time really, you know, it, it helps keep me focused when I have nothing else going on or what, you know, or it, it is, it's my me time. It's my time to think. It's my time to spend with friends. It's my time to build community. No matter where we live, I find running groups and it gets me connected and keeps me connected. So yeah. I just, I enjoy it. It's relaxing. I love that because so many people think about runners and they're like, that is the least relaxing thing I can imagine doing. But when you find that thing that just syncs with you, it's like magic and it's just your perfect release. It is. Yes. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier, you said, looking back, you think this was God's way of saying you're going to need this to get you through the next you know, chapter of your life. So let's talk a little bit about being a parent of a child with autism. And maybe you can share a little bit about when you realized that Teddy was autistic. Okay. So I knew earlier than doctors would say, I knew when he was about two years old that there was something more with him than just being a boy or just having ear infections or just being delayed with his speech. I knew deep in my heart that it was something else. Um, but he didn't receive his actual diagnosis until he was about uh, three and a half. So back when in his first couple years of life, he was very sick. You know, he had RSV as an infant, he had numerous ear infections where right before he turned two years old, he had his adenoids removed and tubes placed into his ears. And they were like, oh, he'll start talking after we do this. Well, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't start talking. And then people would be like, oh, well, it's just because he's a boy. No, I don't think that's it. And then they'd be like, oh, well, it's because Troy's gone or this or that, or, oh, his sister talks for him. No, there's something else. Um, And then I found a doctor at the time we were living in Georgia, and I found a doctor in Florida that I took Teddy to for numerous tests. We spent an entire day there. He met various specialists, had different blood work drawn and the whole nine yards. And then um, we got the proper diagnosis of Teddy being on the autism spectrum. And what does it mean to be on the spectrum? So I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, and how to, you know, describe it because there is a lot of 
autism awareness out there, but there's not a lot of autism acceptance and a lot of autism understanding. And to me, the autism spectrum, it's, it's that color finder on the computer, you know, where you look at the colors and initially when you click on it, you have all the basic colors, you know, and then you click on it more and you see that whole wheel of colors Mm -hmm. and possibilities. And some, some kids, they, they, they're a blue, but a light blue because they're verbal and high functioning, but then they could be a very deep blue because they're nonverbal. Um, but otherwise they're still blue. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm only aware I'm not at any means an expert. And so I don't really understand, you know, when you get a diagnosis like that, what does it mean for the family? What does it mean for the child? Can they go to normal school? Like what were the expectations then? And can you help them, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but to sort of overcome their diagnosis or like go to the other side of the spectrum, you know, or something. Yeah. So there is no cure for autism. You know, it's not a disease or anything like that. Um, some people like to think of it as a different operating system, you know, like Windows versus Mac or something like that. But there is a grieving process you know, especially for me. So Teddy has, he is, he looks like a normal kid. He looks like there may be nothing up with him, but he is on the nonverbal end. That means he doesn't exactly talk. I have never heard my son say, I love you. And that has been the hardest thing for me to deal with. You know, yes, he can say no when he doesn't want something, um, but his vocabulary is, is extremely limited. And, um, you know, but if you look at him, he looks, he looks a handsome little boy, you know? Um, beautiful. Yeah. But there is that grieving process. You grieve the child that I, I had all these dreams and ambitions that, oh, my kid, you know, he's going to play football or something. But it's, it's not a realistic expectation anymore. Now we're at the point where he was nearly six before he was potty trained and still wears pull-ups at night. And he has to be supervised at all times. He may never, never live on his own. And those are all things that as a parent, you know, you grieve that child that you had imagined a life for, and you have to learn how to accept what actually is, what actually is your reality and deal with how they are now um, versus trying, you, you can't fix autism. That's part of them. You can't, you can't fix it. You have to learn how to cope with it and how to deal with it and how to make this world the absolute best for your child. That's a great way to put it. I mean, I, under, I can relate to that in a big way. Um, I wonder like, when you're out with Teddy, do you feel like you're judged? Like, or does he behave in a way that people might be like, he's different or he's misbehaving or something? Yes. Oh, yes. And so, um, how, yeah. How do you handle that? I have had, I have had the cops called on me. <laughs> um, 
it is very difficult at times. And I have broken down in tears over it. Um, you know, because again, when you look at him, he doesn't, nothing looks wrong, you know, but he has, uh, he's a notorious fry stealer. So he likes to steal fries. <laughs> um, and he has taken a fry off of some random bystander's plate at a restaurant. And then, you know, <laughs> you kind of have to deal with that. And some people are, you know, not so quick to judge. And then other people snap at you and freak out at you and yell at you about stuff and all of that. Um, and it's just... For me, it has taught me to be more empathetic towards others, um, but it is difficult to deal with when people do freak out at you um, because they don't know. They see that this kid looks totally normal, um, but in actual reality, you know, that's not what's going on. I hear someone in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's Cece. Hold on. Hold on just a second. Hey, sure. Yes, you may. Okay, keep it quiet. It's okay. All right, sorry. That was my middle. She's like sliding notes, you know. Mom, mom, sorry. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. But that's like actually perfect. Did you hear that that little ding dong, that alarm? Yeah, what was that? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, having a child with autism, it brings you to a different life of thinking of things that you never would have to think of. And I have alarms on a lot of my doors so that I know um, if he's up and if he's trying to like go outside when he shouldn't be, even though there's like a deadbolt on the door and a high latch lock and all of that stuff, you know, um, us autism moms, we kind of have like these new sixth sense of emergency preparedness situations and how our kid can escape and run away and cause harm and everything. So yeah, I have alarms in different places. Um, so if I know a certain door is open where he shouldn't be. Yeah. Well, you know, all of this is making me think about that. We all have our normals and this is just simply your normal, you know, I mean, You are a mom of a child with autism. You don't love him any less than any other child. He has different needs and you're doing your best. That's it. Yeah. It's amazing. So do you, does, you know, do your other kids ever get resentful because you show him a lot of extra effort? So my oldest, Sophia, is extremely amazing. She is like Teddy's caregiver in a way. Like she helps get him ready for school and make sure he has his backpack and all of that stuff. She is absolutely amazing. And, but my middle child, my Cece, the one that was just mom, mom, mom at the door, she, um, she has been the one to question about, uh, about him a bit more and has gotten jealous And, um, for example, this past year, she started taking ice skating lessons. And during one of her ice skating lessons, Teddy had a meltdown. And meltdowns are very difficult to deal with, especially in public, because that's when you see 
other people judging you like, oh, that kid is being a little snot. You should just spank him or whatever, you know, but he was having a meltdown and threw himself to the ground and bit me and pulled out chunks of my hair and everything. And I, after the set of lessons was done, I told her we, I can't do ice skating right now, you know, cause Troy's deployed and it's just me and all of them. And I, I told her, I said, I'm sorry, Cece, but right now we have to take a break from skating. And she, she got upset about it. And that can be very difficult to deal with. Um, but I do try to do other things special for each kid to make them realize that I love them all. Yeah. And that's hard because five relationships to maintain is a lot. And, oh, wait, you have a husband. Let's add six. And then how about you and your husband with all of them? Let's add seven. Like, it's just, it's a lot. So I can understand this like juggling act that, that your life is. Well, do you have any, you know, thoughts or advice for parents who have just had a, you know, an autism diagnosis who do or don't have other kids? Like, what would you, what would you tell new parents who are going through this? That is a, it is okay to mourn that child that you thought you would have. That's okay. Um, and to have, you know, people in your life that you can trust to vent to and just listen and not want to fix what you're saying, you know, um, and that it's okay to seek counseling for yourself and especially couples counseling and how you're going to deal with this as parents. And then if you do have other children, having something for those children as well, especially um, like Sophia went through a program at one point that was just a group therapy program for children that have siblings who have special needs. And that really helped a ton. So seek out those resources and know that your journey is your journey. What may work for one kid may not work for yours. And that is okay. I love this. It's awesome. And if people want to reach you, we'll send them to your Instagram. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So those that stuff will all be in the show notes for sure. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit more about your marriage and how you know, Troy entered the army. Did you say after Teddy was born? Yes. After Teddy was born. So we rewind time. Yeah. Yeah. Like why was he called to it? Um, uh, the, you know, housing market crash of 2008, all that stuff happened. And then he lost his job. (laughs) He got, he wasn't fired. He didn't quit. He got like restructured out of a job. It was really an awkward situation and then spent months trying to figure out what to do. And, um, I said, Hey, well, why don't you join the army or something? And he ended up joining the army. So yeah. And we have been in now. So he went in after Teddy was born. So he just hit nine years and we have at least three more to go. Wow. Okay. So what does this mean? He's enlisted. Was he immediately deployed? Um, so he was, he's enlisted. He is not an officer, which is kind of 
an uncommon thing for a guy with so many degrees <laughs> um, to not be an officer, but no, he chose to be enlisted. And so that meant, um, so basically for Teddy's first year of life, Troy was gone for basic training and his advanced training. And then after that, we got stationed at Fort Stewart in Georgia. And um, we were there a, a bit before he was de- had his first deployment. His first deployment, so he joined in 2010, but his first real deployment wasn't until 2013. Okay, so by then you had three kids, right? No, four. Yeah. Okay. Three. Three. So when he was deployed, um, I know that he was injured at some point. Is that right? Yes. Yes. When did that happen and how how did that happen? Um, So he was, well, we're coming up on six years of that injury. um, And uh, he was hit by an IED and um, miraculously walked away from it. Somehow, um, we, we call it his Forrest Gump injury. So, um, July 7th of 2013, he was hit by an IED and, um, I had had my phone on do not disturb because at the time I was surging, serving as our, um, what they call a family readiness group leader. So I was like the point of contact for all the other spouses. So I would have other spouses calling me all times of day and night about whatever. Um, and I had just, it had been such a difficult deployment. We had lost some soldiers earlier in the deployment and had numerous injuries and it was just a terrible time. And I was having caregiver burnout and was also going through this diagnosis stuff with Putty at the time as well. And so I had put my phone on do not disturb. And when I woke up that morning, I saw that I had tons of missed calls. And um, finally, the our commander's wife got a hold of me and said, you know, you, you need to keep your phone on you. you you're going to be receiving some phone calls today. And um, my heart dropped, you know, because I didn't know what was going on. But she did say he's okay. So that was a positive. And then I got the official call from the army that (laughs) said, um, ma'am, your husband has sustained an injury from an IED to his buttocks. (laughs) (laughs) It's so not funny. It's like not funny. funny. (laughs) But it is hilarious. Oh my God. Were you laughing when it happened? Like I was trying so hard <laughs> to not laugh. But, oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, my husband has a Forrest Gump injury. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it's he walked away. Um, which is it's miraculous. Really, um, and uh, his commander had called me shortly after that, after I received the official notice, and then um, Troy was finally able to call me, and um, he was so doped up on morphine, and he says to me, they lied. I'm like, what do you mean they lied? He's like, 
I didn't get any damn ice cream. Oh my god. <laughs> you know me how how Forrest is like eating ice cream. Oh my god. So does he have like bullets and shrapnel in his butt? Yes, he does. <laughs> does he set off all the airport detectors? He has. He has once um he has set off a security alarm at like shopping malls. Oh my god. And he had to like point to his butt? I mean, how do you even I was he's he's very good. He is a very calm and respectful man. But I've told him, I'm like, honey, just once I would love for you to moon someone and show them your ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. He listens to your podcast, so <laughs> he'll know. I'm sure awesome. he'll get a kick. <laughs> oh my gosh, but, Troy, Troy, we love you. Come back. Is he home right now? No, he's not. He's... um. Yeah, he's back over there. <laughs> yeah, no, he's wow. he's not. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you're okay. So now we know about Troy's buttocks. Um, <laughs> so what a what a crazy whirlwind of emotions there. Like your yeah. husband just walked away from something that has killed many, and um, and and did he just recover over there and then come back, or how did that work? Um, so he was from Afghanistan. He was taken to, um, Germany and then was there for about a week. Um, and then he came home. So, yeah. And then him being the guy that he is went like straight back to work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about, um, or you mentioned this to me that one of the things you, you really don't appreciate about how the military handles like homecomings are that they like call it a vacation or something. And then they kind of like ship them back off. Yeah. Can you talk about so, that a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, there, ugh, it was when he came home that first time and it was so unexpected. And, you know, that's when I was like heavy into sprint triathlons and, um, I was in the middle of a sprint triathlon series and doing well and, um, had qualified for like age group nationals and all this stuff. And then my husband came home (laughs) and it kind of threw, I wasn't ready. Um, And, um, it threw me off. It threw me for a loop and we did not deal with it well at the time. Um, and then since then, so for like the last five years, he has not been home for more than six months. Um, and he's had different amounts of time gone, like nine months gone, a couple months gone, um, a year now, right now we're in the middle of like a a 13 month long deployment. Um, and when you have the longer deployments, you get what's called R and R, which is supposed to stand for rest and relaxation, but no, it's like hell because you get two weeks of your spouse coming home, but it's like you have a visitor in your own house, but this visitor is your husband, but they're going to be leaving again. And you're going to be stuck alone again. And there's nothing you can do about it because this is what they're called to do. This is their job. And it's just so difficult to deal with. And then, and then when he does come home, 
you know, he, he could be leaving again and you never know when they're going to be leaving again. Um, and it's just so hard to deal with living with a visitor in your own house. Um, it, it strains your marriage. That's for sure. And it is something that we heavily have to work on. And especially this time coming when he does come home, um, it is something that we will really have to focus on because his little break um, back this spring, it was it was tough. You know, how do you adjust to, you know, your kids schedules and they're so excited that daddy's home. But hey, you still got to go to school, kid. You know, you still have things going on. Um, my life doesn't stop. The kids' lives don't stop just because dad's home for a little bit, you know? Um, and that can be extremely difficult to deal with. You know, it does sound like there could be a better system, but at the same rate, like it's, it's gotta, it also, this must include a little bit of guilt because here you are going, I should just be so happy and like loving on my husband every second. And instead you're, you've got some resentment and he's probably feeling awkward and uncomfortable, or maybe he's just in a daze. I don't know. No, it is. It is difficult. It's very difficult. And, um, we have both personally recognized that it is difficult and that we have been through so much together the last several years. You know, he has been gone more than the average soldier. And, um, luckily there are programs that we can take advantage of to help us through. And I think that is my one piece of advice to any military family. Take advantage of those services. You know, if if your um, unit has a retreat or counseling services or anything like that, take advantage of it. Use it, you know, um, have those times to spend together and to grow with one another and learn who this new person is. Because a lot happens in a year. A lot happens in six months, you know, and you, you have to learn how to fall in love with each other all over again. Wow. So you could look at this as a really cool love story opportunity. And here we go. Coming back from the beginning of the interview where we were talking about how sometimes you go to those dark places and now everybody can understand why, you know, all of our lives are complicated, but it's how you get yourself back out and the support and networks that you create to help you that make all the difference. Yes. It's amazing. Well, Liz, we have run down like an hour. So (laughs) before we roll into our final amazing nugget, do you have anything else you want to, you know, hit on? Um, we covered so much and I feel like we could cover (laughs) hours and hours more, but it's been awesome. And I really hope that other people get something out of this and, you know, on autism or army life or military life, whatever, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm rambling mom on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and everything. So just, you know, like I said, I don't want everyone, anyone to ever feel like they're alone. So if you feel like you need to reach out, please reach out. Well, that is so well said because my whole goal in ever creating this podcast was to help people feel more connected in the world. And, and I appreciate you so much through, you know, having gotten to know you through the skirt sports community and seeing you and your run migas all hanging together. Hello, run migas. I love, I love, I love the light that you bring to this world. So 
Why don't we wrap it then with the final question that I ask every guest who comes on the show? And that is, if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I have been thinking about this since you asked me to be on the podcast and I um, I wrote it down. <laughs> um, so I would say, you know, try to live without regret. And, you know, you cannot rewind time and fix whatever happened in your past. But what you can do is you can learn from that experience and use it to move forward with your life in a more positive way. So just let that regret go and move on to the light, to the positivity. Thank you so much, Nicole. This has been absolutely amazing. Hey there, I'm back. I'm just sort of rolling around in the Liz Delise glow. The thing about Liz is that she makes everyone around her feel loved and supported. And like nothing is that bad. I'm sure you could feel that. So how about we give her some love and support and follow her at Rambling Mom. That's on Instagram, Rambling, R-A-M-B-L-I-N-G, Mom. Today has been a blast. Let's keep the momentum going. Become a patron like Liz. Go to patreon.com backslash Nicole DeBoom. And don't forget, we need to celebrate women in all of our glory and especially in business, right? Skirt Sports turns 15 on September 12th. Who would have thunk that the running skirt would not be a fad after all, that it would instead lead the way for women's fitness empowerment, that it would become the first official athleisure product that allows women to go from function to function in their life without a change of clothing, without missing a beat. Who would have thunk it would bring all these women together. It would introduce me to the incredible Liz Delise. Celebrate with me on September 12th by posting about skirt sports or women entrepreneurs or strong women or strong freaking women or this podcast or something that brings you inspiration and confidence and hashtag skirt sports and encourage people to shop our brand because we need it. And in the end, we are all in this together. All right, that's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.